This Tuesday, September 19, over 2,000 journalists from over 115 countries will come together in Gothenburg, Sweden for the Global Investigative Journalism Conference, billed as the world's largest international gathering of investigative journalists. Our next guest is a globally respected leader in the field of investigative journalism. Paul Radu is co-founder and head of innovation at the Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, the OCCRP. Paul's appearing at a conference session about the new organised crime, and he joins you now. Paul Radu, welcome to RN. Thank you, Julian. Paul, I was looking back at the Global Investigative Journalism Conference agendas, and you were part of a panel discussion in 2021 called The New Organised Crime, and now you're in another one called The New Organised Crime in 2023. So I suppose the obvious question is, what's new in organised crime in 2023? Well, unfortunately, organised crime progresses at a very fast pace, and we need these uh, you know, sessions on how uh, organised crime has uh, proliferated, how organised crime has bettered their, their ways of doing criminal business over even uh, shorter periods of time. Um, at OCCRP, we look at um, organized crime on almost a weekly basis. We look at their innovation, we look at what's new when it comes to organized crime, and what's new in the sense of the technology that they're using, in the sense of the strategies that they are employing. So there's a lot of work to do when it comes to organized crime, because unfortunately, we're playing a bit of a catch-up game here. Organized crime is very advanced, and I'm speaking here about transnational organized crime, intercontinental organized crime, um, transnational groups that are able to affect, to impact the lives of citizens all over the world through their deeds. Um, so these kind of people are always on the move. They're always looking for what's going to help them steal more money, what's going to help them hurt more people, what's going to help them, you know, uh, put more politicians in, in their pocket and so on. So they're very, very, very busy and we should be busy, except that investigative reporters only started seriously looking at organized crime at a global scale maybe about 15, possibly 20 years ago. Yes, indeed. In 2021, you, you mentioned that investigative reporters were relatively new to the scene. How significant have the advances in the coverage of transnational organised crime been across those 15 years? But I'm also particularly interested in some of those innovations that you referred to that have happened even more recently, perhaps in the last couple of years. Well, I mean, there's a lot to say about the coverage um, that's done by journalists on organised crime. And obviously, let's take a country such as Mexico, there are many local journalists doing really great work and with great risk, you know, taking great risk um, mm. on the organized crime groups in that country. So there is some local coverage. Uh, I mean, obviously, in Mexico, you know, you look at the capital at the Ciudad de Mexico and you'll find the journalists covering organized crime groups. And as you advance north, you'll see that the local press is doing less and less uh, uh, good work because, you know, it is just too dangerous mm. and, uh, you know, too many journalists. Uh, uh, have uh, gotten killed by organized crime. At the international level, there are efforts for the past 15 years to actually put together teams of cross-border journalists to expose organized crime at a larger scale. Now, some of those were quite successful. Some, you know, focused a lot more on the financial aspect of organized crime, which is fine, but there is a lot more to do, a lot more. I mean, organized crime is uh, currently, you know, harming big, big time the environment. And there's not much work done there when it comes to, to the environment and how, you know, the criminals are really taking down the forest, you know, and for instance, depositing uh, toxic waste all over the place in the seas, in the forest and so on. So there's so much to talk about organized crime and there's so little coverage, actually, when you look at the overall situation and we need to change that one way or another. 
Paul, um, for want of a better expression, how did you get into transnational organized crime in the first place? Well, I'm from um, Romania, and um, Romania, unfortunately, is a country that in 89, when I was, uh, was a kid, experienced a transition from what was then socialism slash uh, wannabe communism to, you know, private initiative to a, a more commercial society. And that was the point where organized crime groups, especially from Italy, uh, at that time entered my country. So they were very visible. Back then, they were very visible for me um, as I had relatives who are armed by this uh, organized crime, Italian organized crime. And that kind of made me interested in this issue because I saw how organized crime was a tool of government as well. I mean, if you take Romania, for instance, you look at the 80s, 1980s, and what you see is that um, Ceausescu, who was then the, the president of Romania, the very well-known dictator at, at the time, um, he was using, he was weaponizing organized crime to reach certain goals that he saw for the Romanian state. For instance, um, there were, in Australia, there were operations back in the 80s where uh, socialist Romania was involved in large-scale drug trafficking that was generating a lot of foreign currency that was then shipped back to Romania for Romania to pay the foreign debt because Ceausescu had this ambition to pay uh, all the uh, all Romania's uh, foreign debt so that the country would be truly independent and, and such, which was obviously, you know, the dream of a madman. But <laughs> but he's used this organized crime, you know, as I mentioned, including in Australia. So Romanian organized crime deployed to Australia to develop trafficking networks. And then the same groups, you know, uh, were having business in the Golden Triangle, in uh, Southeast Asia and other parts of the world. So you see how organized crime was weaponized over time. And we can see that right now with Russia and the conflict in Ukraine. Organized crime is always a weapon in the arsenal of uh, totalitarian states and in the, um, you know, in the hands of dictators like Putin right now. One of the key bits of work that you've done at the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project is to sort of map out the criminal infrastructure that is used by transnational criminal organizations. And you've used this term laundromats for the sort of financial system and the all-purpose financial vehicles that are used to move the proceeds of organized crime around. Could you tell us how the laundromat system works? Sure. So um, the laundromats are massive, um, very large-scale money laundering systems. And uh, when I came across what I saw as the first laundromat that I identified, of course, there are many more that I haven't, um, but it was in about 2010, 2011, when we were looking at a various high-level corruption cases and some organized crime cases, and there was always a common denominator between them. And this was the presence of these offshore-type companies. And in those years, corrupt politicians and organized crime used, for instance, lots of companies from New Zealand, um, companies based in Auckland. So I was wondering, what's behind this? Why, <laughs> why is the same type of infrastructure you know, in, in all these cases? So we decided to investigate the criminal infrastructure, what allows for that to happen. And um, as a result of that project, where we outed these formation agents, these people forming companies and very complicated financial structures for criminals, as, as a result of that, we got a phone call um, from a Romanian business uh, person who said that one of the companies that was mentioned in our reporting stole uh, half a million dollars from him. Hmm. Uh, now, there was a court case that was ongoing. I got access to the court case. And... It happened that the court case was in Moldova, in the Republic of Moldova. And I went to court there and the police subpoenaed lots of banking records from Latvia, from a bank in Latvia, uh, because this half a million that was stolen from the Romanian uh, business person 
was actually in those banking records, but there was a lot more information there. And what I saw, I, I, I thought at first, you know, that I'm, I'm going crazy, that <laughs> this is a stupid conspiracy or, or something, because in the banking record, I saw the same company with the same bank account laundering at the same time uh, over a period of two years, money for the Sinaloa drug group from Mexico, Russian organized crime, Vietnamese organized crime, Romanian organized crime, and many corrupt politicians. So this was like, wow, what? Mm -hmm. I mean, are all these in, in touch? Are they all collaborating? Of course, they were not. What happened was someone who was clever offered them this infrastructure for money laundering that they all used because it was cheaper. Um, money laundering used to be quite expensive in the 1980s, 1970s. And these people found a way to launder money in bulk. So it was, uh, it was something that, that speaks about the innovation that organized crime and their enablers go for in order to make money and to steal as much money as possible. Another fascinating phenomenon that you've identified is the criminal angel investor, which was not a category of angel investor I was across before I encountered your work. Could you tell us about these very unusual entrepreneurs? Uh, yeah, that's, um, that's also something that we've seen after quite a few years of reporting. We would see in various court cases that, you know, had something to do with organized crime or with money laundering, we saw the same names popping up over and over again. So uh, these people were presented in these court cases as the financiers of various other people who were involved in, you know, drug smuggling or cigarette smuggling or counterfeit products and so on and so on. So I was wondering what was going on there because again it seemed like <laughs> like a crazy conspiracy, and um, uh, we've investigated some more and we found out that there is this category of people. They are usually criminals that are very well off. They've made lots of money over decades of crime, and they're really interested in investing in young criminals. Uh, and when I say young, it doesn't mean they're you know uh, in their twenties. Uh, but these are fresh criminals, people who started you know their operations recently and they got to some degree of success, mm. and they're noticed by this, what I call now the criminal angel investors, and they're summoned. And we have uh, quite a bit of evidence about this, uh, these meetings that, uh, that took place between what I call the criminal angel investors and these new criminals. And they meet, and the criminal angel investor proposes, you know, that they would loan the money to up their game, to go for more crime, mm -hmm. to go from, you know, trafficking cigarettes from China, you know, in batches of maybe one container, two containers, to 20 containers, and so on and so on. So they're really about scaling up the crime because it, it, it pays off. So this goes, uh, you know, with, with great returns back to the criminal angel investor. Paul, you spoke about the changes in technology amongst the criminals. Are investigative journalists able to use technology as well or better than the criminals to catch up with them? Mm. <laughs> no, uh, not really <laughs> in, in my opinion. I mean, um, we are using technology, obviously. Uh, we're using, you know, uh, lots of data and we process a lot of data, but we're way behind when it comes to criminals because criminals have uh, a lot more money than, than we do. Mm. Just to give you one example, at OCCRP alone, we're paying more than $20,000 a month for uh, data, for, for cloud processing of, uh, of data. Mm. That, that's, a, that's a huge amount for us. We're always thinking twice. So should we ingest, should we put in this new data set that's five terabytes? Will we have four times more data in two years than we do have right now? Will we have to pay $80,000 a month? Will we have to pay more? We don't have the money. So we have to make choices. And this is a problem right now because, you know, even with uh, optimization uh, inside the systems and all that, I mean, journalists are still lacking data firepower, let's say. We're still lacking computing firepower. 
and we're still lacking, you know, journalists. Well, Paul, the work that the Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project does under your leadership is hugely impressive, and hopefully the networking and exchange of ideas that's happening at the Global Investigative Journalism Conference will push the cause further forward. Thank you so much for speaking with us on Sunday Extra. Thank you, Julian. Thank you very much. That's Paul Radu, co-founder and head of innovation at OCCRP, the Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABCRN.